Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hello, hello. I'm so excited for today's interview and conversation. We are talking about cryptocurrency today, and I had the pleasure of interviewing Shayan Sagari. And before we roll into the interview, here's a little bit of our bio. There's no such thing as a taboo or TMI in Shayan's opinion. Overcoming the shame of her financial illiteracy in 2020 opened the way for her to rehabilitate her relationship with money mentally, physically, and emotionally. Now she serves as a guide for those who want to heal their relationship with money and change their lives through financial coaching and embodiment facilitation. I trust you're going to enjoy this episode. It's really, really juicy. And uh, let me know what you think. Cheers. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Sacred Emergence. It's Michelle Wong, and I have such a juicy, juicy interview for you today. I'm so excited for this conversation and for our guests. So joining us is Cheyenne Sagari, who is joining us from Mexico. And Cheyenne is a wealth coach, embodiment facilitator. Uh, Cheyenne, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here. It's, it's just a wonderful serendipitous experience that we cross paths and that we've been able to work with each other now in two different ways. So I'm super pumped to be here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, okay. So we're going to talk about uh, crypto today and NFTs and just all the things into like the financial, like the financial future. Um, but yeah, we connected through, I'm taking your crypto course. Yes. Crypto curious. And I just loved your take, your journey and your take on like women and crypto and how that like there's not enough women in the space. And I just loved your take on like why women need to be in the space. Um, and then I also learned of you through the wealth, um, the house of we wealth and house of wealth embodiment, which you're a facilitator. And I love that with every class that we do as part of the crypto curious, you actually infuse movement. So let's dive into all this juice. And I would love to hear maybe like, maybe your journey, my journey to crypto. Yeah. Or just like how you like your, I just love your work. Right. So what compelled you to start doing all of this? So, uh, I'm 35 years old and I would say that I was not financially literate until about two years ago when I was like around 33, um, January of 2020. And what happened was the holidays were over. And even though I hadn't participated in like the consumerism or buying gifts for anyone, um, I still had no money left in my bank account. And that was kind of when I hit that limit where I was like, something has to change. And so that really was the moment where even though I had so much fear around money, because I had so much experience around money causing problems for my mom and my dad, like they were fighting all the time. So I thought money was evil. So I avoided it at all costs. And you can imagine that was, it's tough to avoid money. Um, and I, it finally hit a point where I was like, 
not knowing about money is far more detrimental than if I just put on my big girl pants and like turn towards it and just started to self-educate. And I mean, the fact that money is like such a taboo doesn't serve anyone. I mean, gatekeeping that information and holding it from people, it certainly wasn't helping me. And so as soon as I started learning about it, I just wanted to tell everyone about it because I figured if I didn't know about it, there's probably so many other people that just don't know these simple tips, tricks, best practices, uh, for, uh, managing their wealth. And, um, I started taking an investment course with Anjali from Dahlia Wealth. And then shortly afterwards, I found Victoria Washington, who is my mentor. She is the creator of Wealth Embodiment Flow, which is a body-based journey to financial liberation. It goes beyond mindset and it goes into your money lineage roots. And it really enables you to approach your finances and your wealth from the nervous system, which is to say it's in the body rather than all cerebrally from the mind, because that is how we're taught, right? Like we think it's math and we think it's hard, but really there's so much trauma, wounds, memories from our own lives and from, um, you know, past generations that have been handed down to us that we just hold in our bodies. And if you are holding that, that trauma or that resistance in your body, no matter what your mind does, it's not going to be able to out earn that. So this is kind of taking the whole thing and flipping it and, and coming in through the back door and, and, and kind of hacking the system that way. I love it. And I just love how it's such a holistic approach because it's like, like I, I, that's how we met. We met through uh, the house of we, and I just loved your energy. I'm like, oh my God, you're, you're teaching crypto. And I started dabbling in it, but I, there was just something about what you were offering. And I was like, okay, I'm really curious. So I signed up and then I'm like, oh my God, like every class starts with wealth embodiment flow, like not all of it, but just pieces of it. That it's really around getting back into your body. And I was like, yeah, I can get behind this. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, crypto is definitely something that, I mean, it just sounds scary. It's called crypto. Sounds like cryptic. It sounds like scary and coded. Like I was terrified of crypto for so many years um, until I finally, again, I hit that point where I was like, I can't avoid this anymore. Like I just have to learn about it. And again, I didn't feel like there were a lot of resources that were available to me, at least not resources that I felt comfortable approaching because um, I mean, I identify as a woman and I honestly enjoy learning from women more than from men traditionally, like this is generalizing, but I just find that women explain things to me in a way that I understand uh, much easier. And there wasn't a lot of resources on the internet at the time of women, like explaining crypto and easy to understand, um, you know, like bite-sized pieces. So, what I did was I just dove in. I mean, I went onto creepy Reddit threads. I've sat through like really misogynistic, like telegram chats. And I'm like, these people like have no idea that I'm a woman, but like, I really want to learn about this. And for whatever reason, everyone in here is like a douche bro. And they're just seem to be bashing on women. Like in the meantime, I'm like, why, why can't we just talk about crypto? Why do we also have to have these really weird comments about women? So, um, I just was like, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. And um, I just was really determined to learn everything that I could about crypto. And I'm a very curious person too, Michelle, like, like you. And so my questions were like, you know, not just what is crypto, but why is crypto, you know, like, why was it invented? What problem does it solve? Like what was wrong with our normal money? Um, And by asking those questions, I mean, the internet 
fully provided. Um, I've basically taken that information and I've distilled it. And, and that's what I use to teach my crypto course, because I think that if people understand the why behind crypto, uh, what they really understand is the story of humanity behind it, because humans created crypto. It's not this like alien thing that just came to us. And there's a, there's a cultural, a human cultural reason why crypto was created. And I think that if people understand that, it makes it much more approachable. It makes it much more understandable. And, um, and that's why just jumping ahead a little bit, it's so important for me to make sure that there's women, artists, um, visionaries, environmentalists, mothers who are joining this crypto revolution, because whether you like it or not, crypto isn't going anywhere. It's been around for 13 years now. And it's only getting stronger. And I know that there's a lot of theories out there that it's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. But I, I just think that even if it's not going to work, if we have more people learning about it and getting on board with it, then let's just say it even makes the dismantling of it better, right? But like, it's important for everyone and truly everyone, like every demographic to be aware of what is going on so that they can contribute to it. Because because crypto is a creation of our own, it can only reflect what we put into it. And if all that we're putting into it is a bunch of douche bros bashing on women, that's what it's going to reflect. Whereas if we have mothers or artists or revolutionaries or environmentalists that are like, hey, you know, I want to be a part of this, but also I don't want it to ruin the environment or I want to be able to, you know, have it be good for my kids or whatever, they're going to be able to contribute that their perspective and they're going to be able to contribute that into what cre what crypto is turning into rather than having it be something that's just created by like the Jeff Bezoses of the world, which I don't, I frankly don't trust the Jeff Bezoses of the world. You know, like I want, I want my sister to have a voice in it. I want, you know, my, my mentor to have a voice in it because I think it's going to shape what it is. And I think that, you know, it can be a reflection positively or negatively of our humanity, but it's just really what we put into it. Oh, if I could, yeah, that was so good. Like take all that, put it in a bottle and ship it to people. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because yeah. And especially like there was something that you said about like adding that feminine side to crypto. It also like, you know, the, a lot of the branding for crypto was very like robotic and dark colors. And it's like, we can add more like beauty and like, just let's just kind of soften up the, like the, I don't know, like the, it's even the branding of it. Right. It's like, yeah. it's weird to talk about branding when we talk about finances, but like weirdly it is branded, right? Like, um, yeah, it seems very industrial and dark and scary and it, it's just wealth. It's peer to peer wealth. And, um, yeah, like it can have a flower or something beautiful on it just as easily as it can have like a creepy looking, like, um, pixelated crypto punk or something, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and going back to the embodiment piece too, um, because crypto is just an extension of our finances and of our, our wealth identity, um, you can approach it through the body. I mean, people are really nervous when they're opening up their first wallet or making their first crypto trade. So it's like, if you can breathe and like connect with your body and like move around some of those nerves and just ground you get to have just a much better, uh, more powerful, more grounded experience with your own crypto investment. And you can do that 
when you are making your stock investments. You can do that when you're depositing money, taking money out of your bank account. So it's like, it's just a practice that we get to implement in all aspects of our lives. And, and it just helps us have a better lived experience as we're, as we're doing these different things in life, whether it's finances or whatever. Yeah, I have to say, like, when I started um, just my own crypto journey, and then in the beginning, I tried to under like read all the books. I don't know, I'm getting lost in the language and the technology. And I have a tech background, but I was like, I think I'm trying to understand how the car works versus like just driving the car. Um, Yeah. And then I lost kind of like, I just lost enthusiasm over it because I'm like, I don't know, it's just like stocks, right? Up and down, up and down. And one of the things that I really value about your course um, is that you do, like you talk about why of crypto and that really, then it, like the conversation started going on like, okay, well, then how do, like, what's, what's my, what do I value and how do I want to actually create change versus like, oh, this one is making most, the most money right now. Let's invest in that without really understanding what that coin actually does. Um, so that's like, that really inspired me to, to go back and like, okay, like, let's look at the bigger picture here. Um, and then NFTs, which honestly, when I first read about it, I'm like, what? This doesn't, <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, it's just like, well, this is ridiculous. And then like, I see how much money people are making when they sell or, or mint it, which I'm still wrapping my mind around all of the, the terms, but like, I would love to hear your perspective on NFTs and what NFTs are for people who don't know. Yeah. So I love this question. Um, an NFT is a non-fungible token. So that's basically saying that it's unique and it can't be replicated. That's what that NFT means. Um, and what NFT currently looks like mostly today in the mainstream is digital art, And people always are like, well, why wouldn't you just like right click and save it, you know, but that's really the same thing as saying like, okay, well, I can go to the Louvre and I can buy a poster of the Mona Lisa. Like we can make copies of things all day long, but it's not going to be the original. So like, I think that what NFTs is really doing for people is that it's, it's bringing up um, issues that they haven't really thought about for a long time, but it's actually not a new concept at all. Like, um, I mean, value is something that is completely, uh, subjective. Like, um, you know, this is my face mask and, uh, you know, someone said this is $5 and I agreed and I gave them $5 for it. There's someone else out there who would not pay $5 for this. They would buy the materials and they would make it for like 20 cents. And so value has always been subjective. And whether it's digital or whether it's tangible, it doesn't really make a difference. The exchange is just two people agreeing on that value and like exchanging for it. So uh, an NFT, you know, there's an artist or a digital artist. There's some amazing, really beautiful uh, digital art out there. And basically what they've done is they're like, okay, I've made um, like, I've made a series of art. It's the same character in like, let's just say different environments or different scenarios. And they've each been stamped with this like unique code that verifies that they are unique and they are non-fungible and I'm going to price it for one Ethereum. And then, you know, people can bid on it or they can just buy it at that price. And then they have that piece of art 
and it's theirs and, you know, they can play it on their computer. They can, uh, you know, project it on the, they can do whatever they want with it. The point is that it's theirs and no one else in the world has that authentic piece. Even if they make a copy of it, uh, it's just not going to be that authentic piece. And if that person decides to sell that piece of art in five years for, um, a profit, the original artist gets, uh, a percentage of that sale. So it's actually paying artists royalties. And that's why NFTs have become so popular, especially in the creative community with the artists, because, you know, if Pablo Picasso sells a piece of art for $50,000 once, cool. If that person, if that new owner now sells it for $100,000, they make that profit, that 50K profit. Pablo Picasso never sees another cent again. Whereas now artists can make um, passive income off of their work. And I think that that's incredible. That's so important. Um, the other element of NFTs that's going on, there's, there's a whole aspect of it where it's just the digital art and there are art collectors and there are digital art collectors. And that's a whole scene. Another cool part of NFTs is that more and more they're starting to become kind of like a ticket into a community, into a network, and they they um, create real life experiences. And and if you hold this NFT, it basically gains you access into this like group of people. And then you you know as a collective, you become this community, and you get to make decisions together. And and they've started donating money. They've started doing philanthropic activities. They start doing, I mean, um, Bay Area not um, what is it called? Board Apes Yacht Club is an NFT collection of like ten thousand NFTs, and they had a real life um, Super Bowl party in February, and you're going to be, what is it? Rubbing elbows with some really unique, cool, wealthy, I don't know, eccentric people, uh, that you might not normally have access to just because you own this NFT. So it's not just the digital art aspect. It actually does translate into real life experiences as well too, which is the part that I'm really into. Yeah. I feel like like in the beginning, right, with NFTs, for example, it's like, oh, this idea of like a digital art and it gets, and I love the fact that, you know, royalties for the original creator, that really excited me when I learned about that. But it's like, I feel like down the road, people can start using the concept of NFTs for other creative things of digitally stamping, like this is original. And like, even with like music and like, I don't know if you can digitally stamp music, but it's like digital yes. music, right? Yes, yes. You Any kind of digital art, videos, music, uh, graphics. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it's possible to like, even like coursework, like, you know, so like it gets mm. copyrighted. I don't know. These are just, but down the road, I could see how the concept of it can totally expand to other uses. Um, so it's like, this is just the beginning. And so why not get at the beginning? get in front of it so that we can have uh, our voices heard around it. Yeah. And, and just learn it faster so that we can adopt it faster and like win faster because you're right. It is NFTs are, um, they, they're kind of starting to be not synonymous with, but like very closely associated with smart contracts, which um, are, are being used more and more uh, in other things as well. Not just for uh, like digital art. Like there was a home um, I think in Florida sold as an NFT, it's a non-fun. They're basically saying it's unique. It can't be replicated, you know, and it, there's like a smart contract around it. And so, yeah, I mean, like it's starting to creep into really interesting uh, facets of life. And I think we're going to continue to see that 
grow. Um, and it is good for protecting people and it's good for um, royalties. And, and so just the sooner that people start learning about NFTs and smart contracts, they're just going to benefit from it sooner. Yeah. I, that like that, like that idea excites me because it's just like this, it kind of is. I mean, we talk about web 3.0, which is a whole other, (laughs) whole other world. Um, But I feel like whether or not people want it, it's, it's going to happen because we're evolving and technology is changing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Like we talk about web three, like it's going to be this like hard moment in time and it's not, it's kind of like how web one just kind of naturally flowed into web two. So web one being like just very static, like kind of just pictures on a screen that you could just look at. And, and there wasn't a lot of interaction. Web two uh, was really shaped by like the gig economy, by social media. It was much more interactive and it was much more about um, uh, users like contributing the content to it. And then web three is going to be like even further. uh, And we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it is going to involve a lot of open source, um, a lot less, not censorship, but like, um, what is it that I'm trying to say, Michelle? What it like, like control content control. Yeah. Like the content is not going to be as controlled. It's not, it's really not going to be as censored, you know, like there's just some things that you can't talk about on, on certain platforms, like they will flag you. And some of that is good. Right. And, and, and it's safe and it's important. And some of it is actual censorship. Like, you know, you can't talk about certain plant medicines, for example, like on certain social media, they're going to call that illegal. They're going to call that drugs. And, you know, people fall on different sides of that argument. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the way that web three, uh, gets shaped. Um, and I don't think that people are going to notice it like a hard line in the sand. It's just going to be a slow evolution. And we're going to look back and be like, oh yeah, the internet is so different now than it was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's, that's like a part of me makes, it makes me nervous. And then other part is exciting. So but I love what you said, like the sooner we can get our, like get ourselves into and learning more about it and being a part of it, the more we can shape it. Exactly. And we want it to be a space where we're happy and where we're feeling comfortable. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, a 60 year old single male developer out there isn't gonna like, think about what makes me as like a 35 year old, you know, woman, you know, wanting to be on the internet, he's not going to be able to think about like, okay, what would, what would someone like Cheyenne want, you know? And so people like myself, like I have to go on there and be like, Hey, this is what I want. This is how I want this space to be. And I have to be a part of like, it really is pioneering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's exciting. Which is like, you know, the whole, whole reason why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Um, well, I'm also in, curious, like your journey into crypto, like what, what, like, did you read about crypto and then you're like, okay, I want to get into this. Like what, like what sparked your interest in it? Um, I mean, I'd been hearing about it for such a long time. Cause I lived in San Francisco and um, again, you know, I'd heard about like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and, and again, it was something that I avoided. And I think that it was just after a while of just hearing people talk about it, that I was like, oh, what is this, you know, fine time to learn about it. And, um, it was January of 2021 where I made my first crypto purchase. I bought, um, Ethereum and, you know, once I kind of did that first trade, I was like, okay, so I guess 
I'm doing it. Okay. So let's, let's just like learn it. Let's learn more. And I had questions and then, um, I'll, I definitely talk to people about it and just like do some word of mouth. Like I just, I'm curious, there's, I have some friends who are really into it, who I admire and respect their opinions. And so, you know, if I hear someone talking about a certain crypto, I'll go do research on it. I'll read the white papers, see if it's like a mission or a vision that I really believe in, or see if it seems like promising. And then, you know, it, it's risky, but like, I'll make like a small purchase and like observe it for a while. I'm very conservative when it comes to, um, my crypto investing, um, just because it's already so risky that, um, I feel really safe, um, mostly investing in like Bitcoin and Ethereum, because I know that these are definitely going to be growing over the long term. And then there's some smaller projects where I'm like, well, I just really like this idea. I would really like to support it. And so like Solana or some other ones, um, that, uh, yeah, I just, we'll buy a little bit and just watch it and, and chip away, maybe like purchase like $20 here and there. Yeah. That's one of the pieces that I really think is cool. Like you don't have to have a lot of money to invest in crypto. Like you just, I think you said you only need $2 to start. Yeah. On uh, Coinbase, you only need like a $2 minimum to, to purchase any amount of, um, you know, of, of different cryptos. I mean, $2 is going to get you a fraction of Bitcoin and it might get you several hundred of a different cryptocurrency because they're all valued differently. Yeah. yeah, $2, like most people can put aside $2 a week, I think for investing. Yeah. And so it's like, it's just actually like the entry, like there's not a whole lot of barriers to it, as long as you're willing to risk um, and learn through the process. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I know for me, I always thought like, oh, I have to buy one crypto, like one Bitcoin. I'm like, you know how expensive that is? (laughs) Yeah. Like sixty thousand dollars. Well, it's like forty, I think, right now. But yeah, yeah. No, you definitely don't need a lot. Um, it's something that you just get to chip away at. And if anyone out there is thinking about investing in crypto, just my one of my pieces of advice is to only invest uh, what you are willing to lose because um, you don't want to put in your life savings. You don't want to put everything that you own on the line. You definitely want to keep a nice chunk of your cash liquid and accessible in case of emergencies, in case you want to go on vacation. Um, it is harder to pull out of crypto than it is to go in just because you have to take into consideration, um, uh, the gains taxes and certain fees. And you just, you know, the, the market is, still volatile. Like, I'm not going to lie to you about that. It goes up and down. So, you know, maybe you go in on a nice high day and then, uh, it dips, you know, for a few weeks or a few months, it doesn't mean it's not going to go back up, but if you need that money immediately, if you pull out, then you're actually losing money. And that's the other thing I want to mention is if you have already invested in crypto and you're feeling really depressed about the way things are looking right now, cause they are down, you know, substantially, it's not the lowest that we've seen the markets, but the only way that you lose money is if you pull out when it's lower than when you went in. So if you just leave in your investments and just trust that over time, it's going to go back up again, you'll be fine. And I do recognize that that does take like us, you know, you got to stomach some ups and downs, but if you all remember what was going on uh, with the stock market in 2008, like that, that shit crashed. (laughs) It was low. It was not looking good, but it's gone back up again, you know, and it's been 10 years and, and it bounced back sooner than that. But, um, you would have lost a lot of money if you had pulled out in 2008, but if you just wrote it out and if you just left your money in there, it was going to go back up again. And the same is true for crypto. Yeah. I love that advice of only invest what you're willing to lose. And it's like, okay, I can lose like 
whatever, $2 a day, if it's like for a whole month, you know, then like, okay, I'll skip the coffee or whatever. Um, so I feel like that's a really sound advice of just being mindful because it is incredibly volatile. Yeah. And there's lots of scams out there. (laughs) Yeah, there are, uh, one piece of advice, never share your seed phrase or your password with anyone. No one is ever going to need to know it in order to verify anything. Okay. Your wallet address that's public. Anyone can see that. Just don't share your passwords or your seed phrases with anyone. I don't think we, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I don't think we actually explain what crypto was. (laughs) We just don't write in digital. It's digital money. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, kind of like banks and you're looking at the numbers on the screen. Like, do you have a better way of explaining it? Yeah. I mean, crypto is digital money. And a lot of people freak out about that because they're like, oh, that's why I don't trust it because I can't see it or I can't hold it. But the reality is that if everyone in the world or even in your country tried to go and pull out all their money that they had in in their bank um, in cash, there would not be enough cash to give everyone their money. So what that tells you is that there is a huge chunk of our money that is um, already digital and we don't realize it, but like, if you swipe your debit card, you know, when you go to the pharmacy, there isn't a box with your name on it that has like $500. And then someone goes and takes out like the $2 that you owe the pharmacy and then puts it in their box. Like it's just numbers on a screen. So already, um, in a lot of countries, like in the United States and, uh, for sure. Um, we're already on digital money. There are certainly some countries that are still more cash-based economies, um, but that's changing more and more. So with crypto, it's the same thing. It's this currency that has been created that is digital that um, many people have bought into as in they believe in it. And it's the same thing as let's just say with the dollar. I mean, if tomorrow everyone decided that the dollar is just paper and it's not actually worth like what we say it's worth. It completely dissolves. Um, and so that's something really important that I really want to impress upon anyone that's listening is that like value is just a belief in something, you know, and, and our money is no different. And so crypto is no different. So if, if everyone just decides, yes, Bitcoin is worth this much or Ethereum is worth this much. And, and I will exchange, you know, I will, I will give you my house for, one Bitcoin or whatever, um, the more people like buy into that, the more uh, we're going to be able to use it as a way to circulate it. So um, yeah, what is crypto? It's digital money. And yeah, we're already kind of halfway there with our fiat money. And when I say fiat money, I mean like dollar, pound, peso, that's fiat money. Um, Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah, I love that. And like the difference, because I didn't really know, like, I was like, what's fiat money? Like, I had to like read about it. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, there's like almost a middleman that is like, oh, I'm going to shepherd that money in the process. I'm going to charge you a fee versus crypto is peer to peer. So I can just give you money directly without it having anyone touching it in the process. Yeah. So um, the money that most of us function off of in the world, um, again, pesos, pounds, francs, whatever, euros, um, dollars. Uh, this is all created by an institution. So governments most of the time, and it is regulated by central 
systems like like banks, uh, like governments, and and so it's regulated, right, for better and for worse. So, um, you know, like if you're using a bank, your money is insured. So if someone somehow hacks your bank account and steals all your money, uh, you'll probably get most of it back. Um, with crypto, it is peer to peer, and the reason why crypto was created, it was a response to the crash actually of 2008, because people were upset that these um, lending companies were creating bad uh, deals basically. And the the housing market, the bubble burst and these lending companies that had done, you know, bad business, they made bad deals, uh, were getting bailed out by the government using taxpayer dollars. And people were upset because, you know, people don't get bailed out when they can't pay their credit card or when they have loans and debts. And so they were like, well, why are these super wealthy executives and companies, uh, you know, getting bailed out? Like, that doesn't seem fair. And so one response was the Occupy Wall Street movement that happened. And another response was the creation of Bitcoin, which was the first cryptocurrency. And what it, the problem that it was created to solve was, um, that people can exchange wealth directly without needing to go through these central systems. So like right now, um, I have a cap on how much money I can transfer out of my bank account every day. I think it's like 5,000 or 15,000 or something. Um, And that's frustrating for some people, you know, and you usually have to pay a fee or some sort of a tax and people are like, why? I mean, this is my money. I've worked for it. And these banks aren't even doing their jobs right. And now you're saying I have to go through you. And then you're saying you're going to charge me a fee, like forget you. This is my money. And I want to give however much I want to give to this other person without a fee. And that is why, and, and without regulation, because this is super important. I'm Iranian. I mean, my parents are from Iran. I was born in the United States. I have, um, dual citizenship and on Venmo or PayPal. Um, I cannot use the word Iranian or Persian at all in any of my transactions, uh, without there being a 48 hour hold put on my uh, transaction. So if I go and eat Persian food at a Persian restaurant and my sister pays and I want to pay her back on Venmo and I say, you know, Persian food, um, I get a notification that says, uh, we have to flag this. We have to, you know, dive deeper to make sure that this is obeying, you know, all compliances. And the reason is because, Venmo is an American company and it is centralized. And in America, you are not allowed to do business with Iran. There are sanctions on that country. So if you so much as have the word Persian in there, they're going to be like, well, hold on, let's make sure that this isn't, um, no one's doing business with Iran. But the really awful part is if you do a Venmo or PayPal transaction for guns or weapons of mass destruction or anything, it goes right through. So crazy. (laughs) That's infuriating for some people. Some people don't like that. Yeah. That's, that would really annoy me because it's like, oh my God, I was just eating. Yeah. And I mean, it gets even scarier too. Like, I mean, if you guys know what's going on right now in Canada, um, there've been like freezes on people's bank accounts. And I mean, it sounds really, um, what's that TV show Handmaid's Tale, but, um, there, there, you know, these governments and these banks at any point in time can decide to freeze your assets at any point in time. And that's really scary. And people just don't trust it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I like, that is like, whoa, you know, like people, like we just, we're not really shown this. It's very like, you got to figure out for yourself. And I just love this conversation because it's like, well, 
here's kind of like what's going on behind the scenes and here's a possible solution, but it's still in its early stages. So there's a lot of like, I would say like cons about it, like environmental factors and all of that. But I think like with anything over time, it's going to be better. It's going to get better. It's going to improve as long as we are putting our voices out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, crypto right now is like the internet in like 1993. So there's a lot of room for growth. Like I only see it as getting better. And yes, there's a lot of criticisms like about the environment. You know, the blockchain is very um, energy consuming. Um, But I think that people also forget that like every time you go on the internet, every time, you know, you're scrolling on Instagram, like you're using energy, you know? So I understand the criticism and I agree. Like I am an environmentalist. I do not believe in destroying the planet and, and, um, extracting all of its resources to completion. Um, and I think that there's a lot of room for improvement in crypto and there are improvements already being made to the blockchain to make it more energy efficient. But people draw these arbitrary lines in the sand where they're like, oh, well, crypto is being used for like laundering money. I'm like, you know what else is being used for laundering money, money. (laughs) And like, and they're like, well, crypto is energy consuming. I'm like, yeah, but so are computers like, but like we're already on the computer and like, no one is like screaming about like cancel all the computers, you know? So it's just like, it's this argument of like resistance versus adoption. And I just think that with adoption, you have so much more ability to contribute to the solution. Mm. This has been so good. Like we went into the meat of it. Thank you. Thank you. This was awesome. Yeah. Well, how can people learn more about you and connect with you and just like be in your world? I I'm pretty active on Instagram. So people can follow me there. Um, my handle is at I am Cheyenne Sigari. We'll probably drop it in, in the show the notes. notes here. Um, I also have a Twitter account. Uh, Twitter is a great place for people to learn about NFTs and crypto. Uh, my Twitter account will also be dropped here. It's at Cheyenne Sigari. And um, my website is shyonsigari.com. You can learn more about um, all my programs. Uh, I do one-on-one coaching for finances and um, embodiment practices. I have a lot of different group programs that I'm always launching. So those are the best places to reach me. Um, And as always, like you can always drop in my DMs. I love chatting. I love connecting with people. And if you have any questions, um, would love to, you know, just continue the conversation there. Thank you so much, Cheyenne. Thank you everyone for listening. If this has resonated with you, please share and tag us both and uh, stay tuned for next time. Thank you so much, Cheyenne. Thank you, Michelle. To help you feel more supported and nourished in your body and nervous system, you're invited to download the free I Am Supported meditation in the show notes. May you feel grounded in who you are as you become the fullest expression of yourself. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you in advance for sharing with those who can benefit. Until next time.